and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I'm your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we are debuting something special. This is a new format that combines a little music with poetry, letters, and other short works by some of our favorite authors that we're calling Bad Mixtapes. So just think of us as your literary DJs. Today we're bringing you a collection of poems by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Amy Levy, Angelina Weld Grimke and Harriet Prescott Spofford that were written in honour of some of their favourite writers. And Lauren, I think you have a little collection of these poems about writers, don't you? I do. So as a matter of fact, I keep that in an Excel document, which is, you know, just the sexiest way to keep Very all of your cool documents. Of you. Just mm. Mm. yeah, that's that's me. Um, so I have quite a few of these poems on file, and we're not going to read all of them because you know some are too long, others are not in the public domain, and uh, a lot of them are about Harriet Beecher Stowe. Oh yeah, the, of yeah, course. <laughs> of course they are. Um, so. One is entitled To Mrs. Harriet Beecher Stowe, which was written by the abolitionist, novelist, and poet Francis Ellen Watkins Harper as a tribute to Stowe. And another is simply called Harriet Beecher Stowe by Dorothy Parker, which has a slightly different tone. Um, Hannah, do you want to read this one for us, actually? Mm hmm. The pure and worthy Mrs. Stowe is one we are all proud to know as mother, wife, and authoress. Thank God I am content with less. I like it. I like Take it, a shot, Dorothy. <laughs> so as we all know, I am uh, very nosy. And I think one of the things that I like best about reading poems about writers is that I like to see what these people thought and felt about other authors. So essentially, I want to know who's living rent-free in their heads. And for English poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, that author was the French novelist Georges Sand. Georges Sand, or Amantine Lucio Aurore-Dopin? Dupin? Listen, uh, I, I'm the one that butchers French accents around here. Do not look at me. I'm so glad we've gone for a French author because there's more of this coming up. Uh, so mm -hmm. she was born in 1804 and was a French novelist, memoirist, literary critic, uh, newspaper starting person. I know that she's listed as a journalist, but also specifically started a newspaper, uh, political activist, uh, poet. You know, still a lot of things. And what's funny about that is um, I think George Sand is probably most famous for wearing male clothing. Yeah. Right? That's what I knew of George <laughs> <Yeah>. Sand. <laughs> uh, so it was at a time when women were required to have a permit to do that. George Sand did not have a permit to do that. And just as shocking was her habit of smoking in public, which was uncommon for women of the time. The only other person I can think of that we know was Francis Hodgson Burnett. Also yeah. loved a cigarette. Eh? Now, George Sand, at the age of 18, uh, got married, had two kids, and then entered what uh, we like to call her thought era in her late 20s. 
she left her I husband. I still haven't entered mine. <laughs> no, I know. I'm waiting for yeah. I'm waiting for that to happen. No, mine was that I definitely had one. Sorry, guys. It's been <laughs> so after leaving her husband, she was linked to a number of high profile public figures, including the writer Charles Didier and the actress Marie Dorval. By 1835, she was legally separated from her husband, took custody of her children, and by 1837, began a turbulent relationship with the composer Frederic Chopin that would last a decade and ended two years before his death. Dorothy Parker summed up her scandals in a little poem entitled George Sand. Good title. Yeah, or Sand, however you want to... However you want to say it, guys, you know, potato, potato. What time the gifted lady took away from paper, pen and book, she spent in amorous dalliance. They do those things so well in France. Don't they just? Don't they? So Elizabeth Barrett Browning was born in 1806, just two years after George. So these two women are contemporaries and are similarly regarded as intellectuals and, you know, very, very successful writers. Today, Barrett Browning is probably best known for her novel in verse Aurora Lee, which is my fave, as we all know, as well as Sonnets from the Portuguese, which was an entire book of poetry about falling in love with fellow poet Robert Browning. And for more on that relationship and career, you should definitely check out our episode on Liz with her biographer, Dr. Fiona Sampson. Now, Elizabeth was a massive fan of George Sand and published two sonnets about her in her 1844 book entitled Poems. (laughs) And it's worth noting, (laughs) it's a great title. Titles are hard. I I, I know, you know, empathize. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth noting that at this point in time, Elizabeth had not met George in person and had limited knowledge about her actual and scandalous life. She only knew her through her writing. So these poems are a tribute to like this idolized version of George Sand that lives in her head and perhaps a reflection of some of the issues that she herself is working through as a woman writer. To George Sand, A Desire Thou large-brained woman and large-hearted man, self-called George Sand, whose soul amid the lions of thy tumultuous senses moans defiance, and answers roar for roar as spirits can. I would some mild miraculous thunder ran above the applauded circus in appliance of thine own nobler nature's strength and science, drawing two pinions white as wings of swan from thy strong shoulders to amaze the place with holier light that thou to woman's claim and man's mightest join Beside the angel's grace of a pure genius sanctified from blame, till child and maiden press to thine embrace to kiss upon thy lips a stainless fame. To George Sand, a recognition, true genius but true woman, dost deny thy woman's nature with a manly scorn and break away the gauds and armlets worn by weaker women in captivity. 
Ah, vain denial, that revolted cry, is sobbed in by a woman's voice forlorn. Thy woman's hair, my sister, all unshorn, floats back dishevelled strength in agony, disproving thy man's name. And while before, the world thou burnest in a poet fire, we see thy woman heart beat evermore, through the large flame, beat purer, heart and higher, till God unsex thee on the heavenly shore, where unincarnate spirits purely aspire. Do you know if uh, George Sand ever read those poems? I do. <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. Thank you, Jay Store. Um, so in 1844, translated versions of the sonnets were published in a French publication, and the editor actually sent a copy to George Sand. And she seemed to be somewhat like flattered, but also very chill about the mm. whole thing. And she said, I am no longer of an age when I hear so much lions roaring within me, and I do not recall that they ever made that much of an uproar. But after Robert and Elizabeth married, they did go to Paris, and the number one thing on Elizabeth's to-do list was to meet her hero. So eventually, Browning is able to set up something, and um, this is what Elizabeth writes about the meeting. I thought this was interesting. She said, I liked her. I did not love her, but I felt the burning soul through all that quietness and was not disappointed. They say never meet your heroes. They do. Our next poem is entitled To Keep the Memory of Charlotte Fortin Grimke and was written by Angelina Weld Grimke. Like Barrett Browning, Weld Grimke wrote this poem as a tribute to her hero and someone that she loved very much. She did, however, know her subject personally as they were related. Charlotte Fulton Grimke was an African-American activist, teacher and writer born in Philadelphia in 1837 into a wealthy and influential family. Her father, Robert Bridges Fulton, who was a prominent sailmaker and anti-slavery activist, had her privately educated at home before sending her to Salem, Massachusetts to further her education at Higginson Grammar School and the Salem Normal School. During her time in Salem, Charlotte began keeping a journal, which we discussed on the podcast in season 4.3, episode 4. So go and listen to that. And after graduation, Charlotte became a teacher and in 1862, she travelled to the Sea Islands of South Carolina to teach formerly enslaved children. She later published Life on the Sea Islands in the Atlantic Monthly about her time at the Sea Islands mission, which is available in the Atlantic archives and we highly recommend that as a fantastic read. Now in 1878, Charlotte married the writer and civil rights activist, Francis J. Grimke. Francis and his brothers, John and Archibald, were born into slavery. Their father was Henry Grimke, a wealthy plantation owner, and brother to Sarah Moore Grimke 
and Angelina Emily Grimke, who were very prominent writers and anti-slavery activists. Angelina and Sarah actually helped Francis and Archibald obtain an education in the North, and Francis became a minister and Archibald became an attorney. In 1880, Archie's daughter, I feel like Archie and I, we've become familiar now. Um, <laughs> In 1880, Archie's daughter, Angelina Weld Grimke, was born. And in 1894, Archie was appointed as counsel to the Dominican Republic. So he sent Angelina to live with Charlotte and Francis in Washington, D.C. Angelina's mother had passed away when she was very young, and Charlotte lost her own daughter when she was just a baby. So these two formed a very, very strong bond. And just like her aunt, Angelina became a teacher and a writer, producing essays, short stories, poetry, and plays. I actually really recommend her play entitled Rachel, which was one of the first plays to protest lynching and racial violence. Rachel was also a response to the film The Birth of a Nation and was produced with an all-Black cast in 1916 and you can find it on Project Gutenberg, along with many of her poems, including today's selection. Still are there wonders of the dark and day, the muted shrilling of shy things at night, so small beneath the stars and moon, the peace, dream frail, but perfect while the light lies softly on the leaves at noon. These are, and these will be, until eternity. But she who loved them well has gone away. Each dawn, while yet the east is veiled gray, the birds about her window wake and sing. And far away, each day, some lark I know is singing where the grasses swing. Some robin calls and calls at dark. These are, and these will be, until eternity. But she who loved them well has gone away. The wildflowers that she loved down greenways stray. Her roses left their wistful buds at dawn but not for eyes that loved them best. Only her little pansies are all gone, some lying softly on her breast. And flowers will bud and be until eternity. But she who loved them well has gone away. Where has she gone? And who is there to say but this we know, her gentle spirit moves and is where beauty never wanes. Perchance by other streams, mid other groves, and to us there, ah, she remains. A lovely memory until eternity. She came, she loved, and then she went away. I love Angelina Grimke's work, especially her poetry about unrequited love. But um, 
We're not going to hear those poems today. I'm sorry. Instead, we will be hearing a love poem from one of my other favorite poets, Amy Levy. Amy Levy was a poet, essayist and novelist born in 1861 in London. Her parents, Isabel and Lewis Levy, were supportive of women's education and Amy's literary interests. And her governess not only encouraged her to write poetry, but also took her to women's rights meetings. At 13, Amy won a prize for her criticism of Aurora Lee by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, which you'll remember from earlier this episode. And at 14, her first poem, Ida Gray, A Story of Woman's Sacrifice, was published in The Pelican. Levy studied at Brighton and Hove High School before becoming the first Jewish woman to study at Newham College in Cambridge. And her first collection of poetry entitled Zantip and Other Verse was published in 1881 while still at university, followed by A Minor Poet and Other Verse in 1884. Now, after leaving Cambridge, Levy began traveling extensively. She went to Germany, Switzerland, and Italy, where she worked on a series of articles for the Jewish Chronicle. In Florence, she met the author and critic Vernon Lee, also known as Violet Page. Lee was born in France to English parents and lived in Italy and published most of her works in Great Britain. So she's just like all over the world. (laughs) It's great. Today, she is probably most well-known for her supernatural stories that were collected in her book entitled Hauntings, but she also published art and music criticism, novels, and travel essays. Like George Sand, Lee also dressed a la garçon, as they say. I don't know if she had a permit. I don't know if permits were required in Italy. Unclear. Someone let me know. Um... But also, Lee had uh, relationships with women. And in 1886, Amy and Lee met in Florence and Levy developed feelings for her. The pair kept in contact after Levy left Italy. And in 1887, Levy wrote to Lee, you are something of an electric battery to me. This doesn't sound polite. And I am getting faint in want of contact, which is really giving me sort of a Charlotte Bronte to Professor AJ vibes. Mm-hmm. Although Lee did seem to reciprocate the feeling. So she's, she's into it. She also wrote back and even visited Levy in London and said that Levy was, she was most excited to see Levy mm. um, over everyone else and anything else. <laughs> Levy also wrote, Not one, but two love poems for Vernon Lee. One called To Vernon Lee. Um, But I actually decided to take a swerve. And we're going to read the other one, which is titled New Life, New Love. You know, I thought the crowd would be expecting to Vernon Lee. And I said, like, let's play the the other one. She, who so long has lain, stone stiff with folded wings, within my heart again, the brown bird wakes and sings. Brown nightingale, whose strain is heard by day, by night, she sings of joy and pain, of sorrow and delight. Tis true, in other days, have I unbarred the door? 
He knows the walks and ways. Love has been here before. Love blessed and love accursed was here in days long past. This time is not the first, but this time is the last. So if you enjoyed what you just heard, I do recommend Levy's novel, The Romance of a Shop, which is about four sisters who open up a photography business after the death of their father leaves them without an income. And um, of course, the Bonnet's favorite Broadview Press has an excellent edition. And I do want to say that next on my TBR list is Levy's Miss Meredith, which is about a governess and has drawn many comparisons to, uh, you know, Jane Eyre and Villette. So I think Miss Levy was Team Bronte. Speaking of the Brontes, they are the subject of our next poem by Harriet Prescott Spofford. Harriet Prescott Spofford was an American author born in 1835. During her 60-year career, she wrote 32 novels and hundreds of poems, essays, and short stories in multiple genres, including gothic romance, detective fiction, and children's literature. Like many of the authors that we cover on this show, she began writing to support her family after her father became ill, and it is said that she wrote up to 15 hours a day and shot to fame early in her career with a detective story called In a Cellar that was published when she was just 17 years old. Today, she's probably best known for her novel The Amber Gods, or Sir Rohan's Ghost, but in 1887, she wrote a book called Ballads About Authors. The authors included in that book are William Shakespeare, John Milton, William Cooper. She didn't publish her poem about the Brontes, however, until 1891 in a magazine called The Century. Now, I don't think our audience needs a full introduction to the Bronte sisters, but in case this is your first ever episode of Bonnets at Dawn, just know that Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte were born in Yorkshire, England between 1816 and 1820 and were responsible for Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, and Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Not only were their novels massively popular and influential, but their life story became mythologized as well, not only because of their massive talent or their close bonds, but sadly because of their tragic deaths. First, Emily passed in 1848, followed by Anne in 1849, and finally Charlotte in 1855. This will be relevant, guys. <laughs> Just keep that in the back of your minds. Now, unlike Amy Levy and Angelina Weld Grimke, Spofford did not know her subjects personally. I suspect from reading some of her fiction that like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she was a huge fan of the Brontes. But this isn't exactly a tribute poem. I think I really like this piece because it feels much more like a spooky children's story about the Bronte sisters, which, yeah, which I kind of need in my life. Someone <laughs> needs to illustrate this one. There are two ghosts upon the stair. One is so slender and so fair. The grave light faints upon her hair and falls and follows as she stirs with the old grace that once was hers. Stirs on that chill and furtive breath, blown from the frozen halls of death, a dream, a film along the air. 
There are two ghosts upon the stair. There are two ghosts without the door, one lofty as when first she wore, the purple of her youth and bore, her state like some young queen, full white and icy as the northern light, the death mask on her face and see, a cold flame where her heart should be, calm, bitter calm, and fair and froar. There are two ghosts without the door. There are two ghosts beyond the pain, in all the void and vast insane, in all the vernal fall of rain, in all the drifting of the mist, when winds are high, when winds are whist, in all the long sighs of the gale, two hovering, wavering shapes and pale, in all the wide night's dark domain, there are two ghosts beyond the pain. On wintry driving of the sleet, between those graves whose furrows meet, she sees a yearning face and sweet. All night she hears the great winds blow and sees the wild white whirling snow sweep up the black vault of the sky and sees a shadow fleeting by that treads the storm with royal feet. There are two ghosts upon the sleet. Out on the high brow of the moor, night lifting all her clear obscure or morn with primal tides washed pure while skies and larks together soar, and the rhyme glimmers fresh and hoar, out in the glorious golden weather, knee-deep in lost in plummy heather, in lonely space from lure to lure, there are two ghosts upon the moor. And when along heaven's shining coasts, the summer evening leads his hosts, in the great train the pole star boasts, she sees from purple hollows shine, eyes with sorrow half divine, and in a mist of stars will note, ethereal weft of garments float, pressing from faintest farthest posts. In heaven itself there are two ghosts, or dreaming there beside the hearth of lonesome days of ancient mirth that cast a bloom upon the earth of shapes that filled those happy years seen through the halo of her tears. She feels them stealing nigh and nigher to take the last flesh of that fire. Woe to the house of gloom and dearth. There are two ghosts beside the hearth. Sometimes at night about her bed, the moonlight in the glamour shed puts on the likeness of the dead. The glamour creeps along the wall. Far off soft voices seem to call. Soft footsteps falter through the room. She cries and reaches in the gloom. And life and light and joy are fled. There are two ghosts about her bed. The gentle cunning fails her hand. Here where they woke, they wrought, they planned. While day slides o'er the lonesome land, the needle poised, the pencil prone, pale fingers moving with her own. The book that one strange witchery threw, forgotten slip, they read it too. Awake, asleep, astir at stand, there are two ghosts at her right hand. What memories nestling in her heart, with wild sweet wings of longing start, the things they touched with awful art, the clock's dull tick, the walls, the doors, the very shadows on the floors, the old smiles wake an aching fret, barbed with the poison of regret. Each moment gives a keener smart. There are two ghosts within her heart. There are two ghosts upon the stair, long since fame spread his splendid snare, 
Love came and camped about her there. Oh, love was sweet and life was dear. But hark, those voices strong and clear. They wail, they thrill, she must not stay. Out to the open and away. Oh, love past death and death's despair. There are three ghosts upon the stair. Fun fact about Harriet Prescott Spofford, she does make like the teeniest, tiniest cameo in the second season of Apple TV's Dickinson. She's actually an attendee at one of Sue's salons and Thomas Wentworth Higginson points her out to Emily and calls her like the firebird of New England. Now, in real life, Dickinson was a fan of Spofford And she actually wrote the following note to Sue about her work. She says, Dear S, that is the only thing I ever saw in my life I did not think that I could have written myself. You stand nearer to the world than I do. Send me everything, she writes. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. (laughs) Dickinson also wrote a poem about Charlotte Bronte called Charlotte Bronte's Grave, which, um, you know, just might show up on a future mixtape. But, you know, sadly, we've reached the end of our time for today. But there will be more Bonnets at Dawn mixtapes in the future. All you got to do is, you know, subscribe to Bad on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, follow us on social media for more updates. You can find us, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us, bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com. You can join our wonderful Facebook community by searching for Bonnets at Dawn. You guessed it. And you can order our book, Why She Wrote, from all major retailers, including our favourite, bookshop.org. And if you enjoyed the first bad mixtape, please join me in a round of applause for the voice actor Andrea Anderson and for the voices of Alex, Faces and Asia Ricketts. Mm-hmm.